We are starting a new sermon series today. Open up to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians for about the next 11 weeks or so. I'm calling this sermon series Faith Out Loud. And I want to start with a question. It's rhetorical, so don't answer out loud. <laughs> the question is this. What does it take to change the world? What does it take to change the world? Some people work very hard to gain influence, popularity, power, maybe, or especially in the political realm. Is, is this the best way to change the world? Some people rise up and, and do protests and social movements and mobs form. Is this the best way to change the world? We see social media warriors typing away fervently on their keyboards, expressing their opinions on all the various formats online. Is that the best way to change the world? We see some people getting rich, being successful in business, powerful, whether through sports or entertainment or business, and they become celebrities. Is, is that the best way to change the world? Then I think there's most of the rest of us. We're watching all this happen, and we have various opinions, concerns, but we just don't know what to do about any of it. We're just trying to get by, and it seems like changing the world should always be somebody else's job, because who are we to do anything? But I do believe that we all share a basic understanding, and that is that the world needs to change. Oh, I think we have different understandings and agreements as to which direction it should change in and how that change should happen. But I think there is a common feeling among most people today that the world needs to change. So what does it take to change the world? Over the next 10 or 11 weeks, we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians. And I've called this Faith Out Loud because Paul praises the Thessalonian believers for living out their faith in such a way that others know they see their faith in Jesus Christ and it's having an impact in the world around them. It was literally changing their world. So I want to look at what, what is that? What did they do? What didn't they do? What lessons can we learn from them as we seek to live for Jesus Christ in our society and our culture today? But in order to really learn from this letter, we need to look at some background. I always like to give some context as we enter into a new book. So, so we need to come and say, welcome to Thessalonica. Some people say Thessaloniki, Thessalonica, Thessalonica. I say Thessalonica. You could say it however you want. But a little bit of background. Maybe you're familiar with this, this little-known guy in history named Alexander the Great. Maybe you've heard of him. I mean, the name implies he was kind of a big deal. Uh, kind of took over the known world at one time. This was before Jesus Christ. But his home, his center of operations was what was known as the Macedonian world. What we today, and, and sometimes back then too, was called Greece. The people were Greek. Well, if you know a little bit of history, that lasted for a while, and then the Romans came along and conquered them. So Thessalonica was part of the Greek world, often called the Macedonians, but now is part of the Roman Empire. 
And what's interesting is that this city became really loyal to the Roman Empire. So loyal, in fact, that they earned what, a title or a designation which was known as a free city. A free city was a city within the Roman Empire that was known for being so loyal to the Roman cause, the Roman culture, the Roman Empire, that Rome actually stopped charging them taxes. They didn't have to pay to Rome. Rome also allowed them to rule their city without any external influence. They were like, we know you guys have our best interests in heart. We're just going to trust you. We'll focus on other things. This was a huge honor to the people in Thessalonica that they were known as being this free city of Rome, a light for others to see, an example to other cities in the Roman Empire. This is a great situation to live in. This is wonderful. As long as trouble doesn't come up. You see, the Roman Empire was fine with being hands-off until there was disruptions in the city. If there was any semblance of, of rioting or mobs or people rising up with any hint of overthrowing the government whatsoever, Rome would clamp down. And not only those people involved in it, but everybody in the city would lose a lot of their rights and their standing as this free city in Rome. And so, that's the setting of the church in Thessalonica. And one day, this man named Paul shows up. Before there's any Christians there, before there's any concept of the gospel there, Paul, the apostle, shows up in Acts chapter 17. And if we go back to Acts 16, a little bit of background, Paul's in what's today kind of known as Turkey. So if you know your map, that's kind of where he is. He's in Turkey and he wants to go straight west into what they called Asia. There's several verses in Acts that say the Holy Spirit prevented him from going. And he knew that God was saying, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go somewhere else. And he has this dream, this vision of a man from Macedonia telling him to come and help them. And Paul wakes up and he says, here's my mission. I need to go to this place that I didn't plan on going, but that's where God wants me to go. And I need to go there and I need to preach and teach the gospel and raise up believers and form churches. And I don't know how this is going to work, but that's what I need to do. So in Acts 16, he starts in a city called Philippi. You might know there's another letter in the Bible known as Philippians. That's to that church. And he goes there and it starts great. People are believing in Jesus. This is wonderful. This is why God called him. Successful ministry. It's great. And then some people start losing money because people are getting saved. And that doesn't go over so well. And they do what any reasonable person does. They start a mob and they drag Paul and his friend Silas into court. There they are stripped and beaten with rods, severely flogged and thrown into prison. And I often wonder, like, what's going through Paul's head here? God, you, I didn't want to come here, God. You called me to come here, and this is what's going to happen? Was it all for nothing? There's a miracle that happens overnight. You can see that in Acts 16. But the next day, they, they are politely asked to leave the city. Get out, Paul. Don't come back. So he moves on to another city. And they go to Thessalonica, the city that is at the heart of the letter we're going to be looking at. 
And again, things start well. Many Jewish people, he goes into the local synagogue. They know their Old Testament. He's preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ, linking that to the Old Testament as Paul was so good at doing. And many of the Jewish people believe. But then we're told, Acts chapter 17, verse 5, that some of the other Jewish people become jealous. They go out into the marketplace, into the city, and they round up what are called bad characters. People that will start trouble. And they form a mob, and they start a riot. This time they rush to the house where Paul is, presumably under the idea that let's drag him out and bring him to the courts. But Paul's not there. Lucky for Paul. Not so lucky for the guy that owned the home. This guy where Paul was staying, his name was Jason. They drag Jason out into the street because they couldn't find Paul. They drag him before the courts. I don't believe he was beaten, but he had to post bond. He had to pay to get out of jail. All because Paul was staying at his house. Paul and Silas, who had come and preached the gospel, they realized that their lives are in danger. The believers urge them, move on, leave the city. It's not safe here. And so they leave. They go to a town called Berea. And these lovely people from Thessalonica, they send people to Berea to cause trouble there for Paul. And Paul has to flee in the middle of the night. He's taken on a ship off to the city of Athens, about 300 miles away. Now just imagine, God calls you to do something. And and yeah, there's some good things going on there. Seems like things are working okay. But then time after time after time, it's just misery and hardship and things are falling apart and you're getting hurt. Your friends are getting hurt because of you. And here's Paul. He leaves behind this small ragtag group of believers in Thessalonica going, man, they've got it tough. I mean, this city was so adamant against the gospel that not only did they kick Paul out of that city, but out of the next city as well. They were willing to go out of their way to travel and make fun of Paul and make sure he was persecuted. And I can only imagine what was on his mind. This baby church, newborn Christians, in a very difficult culture, very difficult society with lots of opposition, and Paul can't go back and teach them and help them, which was his heart's desire. So welcome to Thessalonica. Tough city, tough culture, lots of political and economic pressure, not very conducive to being a Christian, not conducive to churches being planted and growing. So what happens to this church? Well, we're told a bit about the faith of the Thessalonians in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, verses 1 through 3. Here's Paul, and he's sitting in Athens, 300 miles away, which which to us, that's a couple hour drive. To them, it was a really long walk or a fairly long journey by ship. And he's wondering how the Thessalonians are doing. And listen to the language with which he starts this letter to them. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Think about that. 
What's Paul doing as he's leaving and he's worried about these people? He is on his knees pouring out in prayer. And I love the always in this. There's one continually, but it could be an always too. He's always praying for them. Paul has a heart for these people. Paul didn't just show up to someplace, preach the gospel, and just move on. He loved these people. He wanted them to grow in his relation or in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So he writes this letter on behalf of himself. He was the guy that planted the church. Silas, his friend, was with him and worked with him. And Timothy, we'll get to Timothy later, but Paul had sent Timothy to Thessalonica to check up on them. In fact, that's What starts this letter is that Timothy comes and he gives an update. And that's what prompts the rest of this, the writing of this letter. But in verse three, he tells us some things that I think he's saying he knew from when he planted the church there. Listen to how he describes their faith. We remember before our God and father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope in their Lord, Jesus Christ. This should sound a little bit familiar to us. If if you've read some of Paul's letters, faith, hope, and love are words that he uses over and over again to be characteristics of Christians. We are to have faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel. We are to live that out in love for one another and love for the world through sharing the gospel. And we are to have hope in Jesus Christ's return. But usually it's faith, hope, and love. Here he changes the order. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, come on, no big deal. Well, the end of this book is going to be all about hope in Jesus Christ. It's a major emphasis that he's going to have. And so he's really setting it up here. But think about the action of what Paul is remembering about them. Work produced by faith. They didn't just believe. They didn't just pray a prayer and receive Jesus Christ and then go on about their lives as if nothing had happened. They had work. Something in their life changed because of their faith. Faith in action. They had labor prompted by love. And the love he's talking about here specifically, we'll see as we go through the letter, is their love for one another in the church. They loved each other. Their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ led them to love others who were trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not that they ignored everybody else, but the way they function in their love for one another in the church is a key demonstration of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they worked at it. In this culture, when people receive Jesus Christ, they lost things. They would lose business. They would sometimes lose family. And the church had to help each other out because the normal ways of being taken care of were often broken because they were followers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, I know you guys, you are helping one another out in extreme and sacrificial ways. They're putting their faith in action in how they love one another. And then he says, endurance inspired by hope. He saw in that just that glimpse there, and he's going to get a bigger glimpse through Timothy's report, but that they were holding on to their hope in Jesus Christ. They knew Jesus was coming back, and that was making a difference in their life. I think this is so interesting because a couple weeks ago, we finished the, the sermon series on the whole Bible, and of course, we ended in the book of Revelation with Jesus coming back, and just the incredible hope that we have in Jesus Christ and the truth that he's coming back. But look at what he's saying about their faith. 
He knew that they believed and that their belief in Christ was changing their lives. They're living out that faith in working hard to love one another and standing firm in a difficult situation in their hope in Jesus Christ and they're persevering in that. Man, I wonder. I wonder if somebody would write a verse like that about me. I wonder if somebody would describe us as Christians that way. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew that they had a profound change. The gospel had done profound work in their lives. But he also knew that his friend Jason had suffered on Paul's behalf. He knew that there were people in the city that were willing to go to extreme lengths to keep this gospel from spreading and shut it down. He knew there was political and economic pressure to keep the church from spreading. So there's a question. What's going to happen to this church? Is it going to fizzle out? Shut down? Be absorbed back into the world? Are they going to hold on to their faith? Is it possible for the gospel of Jesus Christ to spread in such a difficult place? And so Paul does what he so often did. He worked with other people and he sends Timothy. Timothy at this point is kind of a baby Christian. He had just met him maybe a couple months earlier, but he sends Timothy to this city and Timothy stays there for a while and he has just shown up in Athens to make a report to Paul. And the rest of this letter is about the report that Timothy brings and Paul's response to it. And what Timothy has to report is absolutely amazing. The Thessalonian church is doing great. They are living their faith out loud. Timothy tells tells Paul that they're still going, they're holding on to their faith. Not only that, their faith is becoming known. The church has become famous for trusting in Jesus Christ, not just in their city, but in all the cities in their area. That's amazing. They didn't didn't start some sort of social movement. They trusted in Jesus and lived out their faith. And people were like, wow, that's different. I want that. Others are coming to faith because of their amazing example of trusting in Jesus, loving one another, and holding on to hope. So I hope you're hearing the beginning of the answer to the question, how do we change the world? We hold on to our faith in Jesus Christ. We love people within the church, so we show people a visible demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hold on to and live out our hope in Jesus Christ. And look at verse 8 of chapter 1. This is where I get the title for this series. Because when I read this and studied what it meant, it was amazing to me. In fact, if I back up to verse 7, it says, And so you became, talking of the Thessalonians, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. The Lord's message 
that came through Paul to this ragtag group of believers is now ringing out from them. And the Greek word there is, is basically, it's the word that we would use as echo. It's echoing forth. But what's so profound about that is I was studying it. We think of echo as sound that bounces off something. Because we understand sound waves that travel, they hit something, they bounce back. We get that. So the echo is the bouncing back. In their mind, the ringing out in the echo is not so much about the bouncing back. It's about how loud the initial sound is. Because in their mind, loud sounds echoed back. Does that make sense? So when he says it rang out, he's talking about how loud their faith is. They were so well known and they lived out their faith and they were so good at loving each other that everybody was finding out about it. Hey, have you heard about this new group of Christians? Have you heard about this church? Man, they love each other in ways that we've never seen before. Yeah, they try to arrest them and like beat them up and they still keep on loving one another. And it rings out in their area. And in verse 7, Paul says they have become a model to other believers in their area. This is why I want us to look at this letter. Their culture, their society, their situation was directly opposed to their faith. Friends, we are at this point in the United States of America. And it's time to accept it. It's time to stop complaining about it. And it's time to step up for the cause of Jesus Christ and say, what does it mean to be a Christian in this culture? No longer would I say that our culture is ignorant of Christianity or simply indifferent. Increasingly, our culture is actively opposed to what we believe. And here's the key thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ does really well in those situations. We have nothing to fear. I'm not saying this going, oh, woe is us, our culture hates us. We have an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity to change the world for Jesus Christ. And we have an example in the Thessalonians of what that's supposed to look like. Because even though their culture was actively opposed to what they believed, not only did they hold on to their faith, but their faith rings out in the area. And we're going to see what it means to hold on to faith, to to go deep in our faith and understand who Jesus Christ is and what he's done to change us, to hold on tight. And too often we want to skip over that. We want to start pointing fingers. Oh, this person and that person, this culture, this person on TV. We want to point all the fingers at everybody else and just how wrong they are. We need to start with ourselves and the truth that we are sinners apart from the love of Jesus Christ and the truth that he went to the cross, died on the cross to save us from our sins and rose again, promising eternal life to all who believe. We've got to start there. Start with the faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hold on to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grow strong in the faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world is changed by Christians, churches, who have a deep, firm, strong faith in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we'll see how they put their faith in action. 
how they put it in action in the way they loved one another, how they interacted with the world. And we'll see how simply living their faith in Jesus Christ caused other people to want to know more about Jesus. It changed their world. Now, they're not perfect. And I love this in the New Testament. I love it in the Old Testament too. The Bible is very good at pointing out the imperfections of God's people as they seek to follow the Lord. And and I can identify with that. Maybe you can't. Maybe you're perfect. But I think a lot of us can identify with that and go, man, if God can work through them, he can use me too. Paul writes to encourage them to keep going in their faith. He knows There's still a real danger. There's still that pressure to give in or change what they believe. And he calls them to be different, to live different, to hold on to that faith, not let go of it and not water it down. He tells them to keep going in their love for each other. They're doing great, but he knows how it happens. Little fractures can enter into the church. They start arguing over lesser things and they can get off track from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, keep going. Keep trusting in Jesus. Keep loving one another. They were struggling with some wrong ideas about the return of Christ. Some of them had quit working. Why bother going to work? Because Jesus Christ is coming back. That was their mindset. Well, he's coming back right away, so I don't need to go to work. I don't need to do anything. And then they were going to the church and say, hey, you need to support me. And Paul's like, "Uh uh-uh. No, you need to work. Yes, trust that Jesus is coming back. Absolutely, he'll take care of the timing on that one. You need to be faithful in the meantime. Others others were worried because people that they loved, people in their family, people in the church were passing away. And Christ hadn't come back yet. And so now they're thinking, well, they've missed it. They've died. So when Christ comes back, they're going to miss out. And Paul's like, no, that's not true. And he teaches them about resurrection. Others were just confused in general about the timing of it. Some were teaching that Christ had already come back. And so Paul talks a little bit about the timing and what they were to do as they lived preparing for the Lord's return. But the Thessalonians are an incredible example to us of what it means to live our faith out loud. But I need to give a very important qualification. If you have your Bible open, flip over to 1 Thessalonians 4.11. I'll put it up here. You can see the context. In this book where Paul commends them for their faith ringing out, resounding like a, a loud sound, he commends them for that. He also challenges them and warns them. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, he says, And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. There's a lot going on in that context I don't want to get into. We'll deal with it when we study that passage. But why could he tell them on the one hand, your faith is ringing out like a loud sound, and on the other hand, tell them, command them to live a quiet life? Which is it, Paul? There was great pressure in their society to seek change or to find your importance through power and influence. There were ways to affect, whether it was the political or the economic or just the social process, there were ways to influence those things by gaining power and popularity. That was their culture. And it was common, it was known, and it was accepted. 
And some of them, it seems, were seeking to use the world's ways to change the world. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't use the world's ways to change the world. He calls them to live a quiet life. They were to live out loud in the sense of living for Jesus Christ in such a way that people saw that they were trusting in Christ. They saw their faith. They realized that they were different. But they were to live a quiet life in the sense that they were not to use the world's ways to change the world. They were not to try to get attention, gain power, or gain influence, or be the loudest voice in their culture. I think... As Christians, we need to wrestle with this today. I think too many Christians are being very quiet in our faith and we're being very loud in our lives. We are very quick to shout at the culture. We have strong opinions on what the world should do, on politics, on cultural trends, and we shout and yell at everybody around us, if everybody would do this, the world would be great, and it would be perfect, and everything would be fixed. And when things don't go our way, we respond in anger and frustration and bitterness. We demean and insult people that disagree with us. We go onto social media and make sure everybody knows our opinions of how the world should operate. But when it comes to showing the change that Jesus Christ has had in our life, when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're very quiet. And we say, well, we don't want to offend anybody. But so often it's because we're living in fear or we've allowed our faith to remain shallow or we think maybe that's not really the answer for the world. I think all too often as Christians, we become known to the world not for our faith, but for our issues. The issue of the church of Jesus Christ needs to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not to say that we let go of everything else and say, oh, we agree with it. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. But it does mean that we don't need to get on social media or stand up on the street corners and point out everything that's wrong. Because the way those wrong things are going to be changed to be right is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way the world's going to hear and see the gospel of Jesus Christ is through people, that's us, that have been changed by Jesus Christ. We need to have a loud faith that rings out in quiet living. And so throughout this series, that's what I want us to look at. As we look at 1 Thessalonians, I want us to look at what it means to live our faith out loud, how we hold on to faith in a very difficult environment, how do we live out and demonstrate our faith in this difficult environment, especially in how we love one another in the church. And I want us to ask that question and think about it over and over again. What does it take to change the world? And the answer is we change the world by living our faith out loud. It's very simple. But it's hard. We hold on to Jesus Christ in spite of opposition. When our culture says change what you believe to match what we believe, we say no, we have to follow Jesus. When we want to be known in the world, we look at the gospel and we say what we're going to be known by is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We want to live in such a way within the church with the way that we treat one another so that when other people come in, they go, man, there's something different there. I've never seen that before. My friends and my family don't treat each other that way. What makes them different? And because we're trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ and they see it in our lives, we can easily point them to Jesus Christ. The singular focus will be seen in the things where we are loud, ringing out in our faith, but also where we're quiet. We're not going to get caught up in the controversies of the world. We're not going to complain or shout insults or judgments. We are going to hold on to, trust, teach, preach, and go deeper in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that will cause others to rise up against us. And that might feel like failure. But it wasn't failure for Paul. And it's not failure for us. Because the gospel does amazing things when people changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ live it out loud in their lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we've caught a a glimpse today that this letter of 1 Thessalonians, it, it is so meaningful for us today. It's easy to think of these ancient cities and these ancient cultures as being so incredibly different than us, but they really weren't. They faced many of the same issues that we're facing today. And I pray, Father, rather than looking at novel, new ideas and latest trends on how to be effective churches, may we go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we ask ourselves that hard question, are we really trusting the gospel? And then ask ourselves the equally hard question, what difference is it making in my life? What difference is it making in my relationship with other Christians? Are people seeing the gospel at work in us? And God, how that changes the world, we leave up to you. You call us to trust, to have faith, to have love for one another and hope in Jesus Christ. And how that impacts the world, how that impacts our unbelieving family members and friends, that is up to you. But we want to be that example that you can hold up so that others can say, there's something different. Tell me more. So that our faith rings out our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.